Well, I, uh, I live in Orange County, but I've been in the West recently more than Orange County, so I'm not sure I need an introduction here, but when I go back there, I'll probably need one. I've been out for a while, but it is uh, great to be with you. Uh, really enjoyed the uh, time together up at the retreat. That's a wonderful idea to have everyone together just before school starts back and uh, just have some relaxed time, but also some time to uh, talk about the Bible, talk about God, get our uh, batteries recharged a bit. And uh, yesterday the parenting workshop was a lot of fun, great facility. Uh, really enjoyed doing that with my wife. She uh, wasn't and isn't feeling great, but uh, she managed to make it through yesterday uh, just fine. So uh, we had a good time being with you. Uh, today, uh, we'll do a lesson and then have a leader group, I think, afterwards. So uh, we uh, just appreciate the opportunity to speak. Now, uh, the title of the lesson today is really the Bible. Is it a book of religion or a book of relationships? I know that when I was being raised, uh, I went to church every week. My mom dragged me. I never, ever wanted to go, but I had to go. And uh, so to me, the Bible was a book of religion. It was a book of do's and don'ts. That's the only thing that I saw in it. I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do that, maybe I can do that, etc. And, and so it was a book that I didn't have any interest in at all and religion for me was negative. That's not a lot different than you read about when you open up the pages of the gospel accounts because that's sort of what religion had degenerated into for many in the first century. But when you really start looking at the Bible, then you understand it is a book about relationships. Relationship with God, number one. Relationship in our families, like we talked about yesterday, number two. Relationship in God's family, the church, like we're doing today. And then a relationship with those that aren't in the church and who need to be because our goal is to help them come to know God and get to know them. And uh, you know, it's interesting. I should have figured this out before I did because I remember having been dragged to church and all that. I, I grew up believing in God, grew up believing actually that the Bible was true. Whether I wanted to read it or not, that was another question, but that it was true. And then I went to college and uh, I was raised in the Bible Belt. You can hear that in my accent. But uh, raised in the Bible Belt where everyone I knew believed in God. I did not know an atheist in high school. Now, I knew a bunch of rowdy, sinful people, being one of them. Uh, we might have been uh, hellions on Saturday night, but we went to church on Sunday. Uh, I guess everybody's mom was pretty good at dragging them to church anyway. Uh, <clears throat> but I got to college and uh, my, my English professor, second semester English, was an avowed atheist, very outspoken. And his wife was as well, both of them taught in the English department. And I never even considered the fact, maybe there's not a God. To me, it was just kind of a given. But I thought, you know, that would be really convenient. If there's not a God, I can keep living like I am and not feel guilty about it. And so I thought, wow, I'm gonna try that one on. And so for a while, I really honestly tried to be an atheist. But then, yeah, it's pretty hard. It takes a, a humongous amount of faith to believe in atheism. But um, it's true. But at any rate, I, uh, I tried it, but then I came up with this little simple three-point uh, concept that I could not escape. So I started off with this one. In the beginning, that's the way the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, etc. So in the beginning, you go back as far as you can go. In the beginning, infinite regress. And you get all the way back to the beginning and you have a choice. In the beginning, God made all that we see and are, or in the beginning, rocks and dirt somehow became all that we see and are. And I thought, gee, who, who could buy that? And so I was stuck then. There must have been a God that designed it all. It just doesn't happen by itself. Uh, so I, I thought, okay, so God created us. 
then the next thing that I dealt with, my second point was, why do you do that? People are a mess. I'm a mess. Everybody's a mess that I know. Why did he make us? And the only thing I could come up with, I didn't know enough of the Bible to know that it said God is love. That's his nature. So I figured out if God is love, the only possible reason he could have created man is because he wanted to share it. There's something about his nature being love that he just wanted to give it and to share it. I thought, okay. And then my third point was, if he wanted to do that, he would have to reveal himself to us somehow. And that came down to the Bible. Is that really the word of God or is it not? But some way, it would be a strange father indeed that had a child, really wanted a child and never communicated one time with him. So God had to communicate. Then the question was, is it the Bible through which he communicated or not? And that led me then to try to look at some evidences about the Bible. But I figured out, even from the very uh, essence of creation, it had to be about relationships. But it took a lot of years to figure it out. And so uh, I want to share a lesson with you today. I've thought a lot about it. And I've got a neighbor that uh, doesn't go to church, but he promised if I'm preaching, he'll go. And I was trying to think, what would be a good lesson for him? This one might be, we'll see. I know one thing, relationships in the world are in major trouble, right? I was raised in a very dysfunctional pagan family. And uh, uh, my mom wasn't pagan, but my dad was. He got dragged to church too, by the way. Uh, But at any rate, his family never went to church. I asked one of his brothers way down the line, hey, after I'd actually become a Christian, I was asking him, you go to church sometime to to funerals and weddings and stuff, right? Yeah. Well, what do you do when you go in there and you sit through a funeral and have to face death? Have to look at it right in the face and realize you're going to do it too. What do you do? He said, I get out as soon as I can, run home and drink some beer. That was his approach. Well, what about relationships in the world? I know what they were like in my family. Presently, 10 active wars where over a thousand a year are dying. uh, Serious armed conflicts, eight of those where it's between 200 and a thousand deaths a year. Other armed conflicts that are maybe less than 2,000 a year, but these are specific armed conflicts, 14 of those. So we've got over 30 wars going on in our world right now. Uh, I go to the Ukraine a lot. They're in the middle of it right now. I've got a flight booked to go there in a few weeks and just try to encourage the church. And I told Sean, if they don't blow up the Kiev airport by then, I will come in. Now, whether I get out or not, you know, there'll be people praying about that one. But, you know, it's just one place among many. I've been to a lot of places that are having all kinds of things go on. Uh, But that is a little scary, right? And then what about relationships in the United States? Our wonderful, materialistic, uh, happy, trying to make it into heaven world that we live in in the U.S., especially in Southern California. 9.5% of the U.S. population age 18 and older in a given year have depressive disorders of one type or another. Depression affects all people regardless of age, geographic location, demographic, or social position. Uh, 50 years ago, that really didn't even kick in until you're almost 30. Now it kicks in at age 14 and a half, depression. More people now die of suicide. We've all got that on our minds, right? That was terribly uh, depressing, if you will, about Robin Williams. He was one of my favorite crazy guys and I loved his movies and and, uh, it was just so sad to see that. And yet right now, I saw some of the uh, statistics on it. You got more people dying now of suicide in the U.S. than in automobile and uh, other motor, motor vehicle crashes. And that started in 19 or 2010. It's gotten worse since then but more die that way. Twice as many die from suicide as die in homicides. And of course, every day we're reading about people shooting and killing each other and, and uh, you know, the mass uh, 
killings that are going on and we're all concerned when we walk into a mall, could this be the day in this mall when we're here? You ever think of that? I think about that. I think about, all right, if some crazy guy comes in here and opens up with a newsie, what am I going to do? Uh, we have to live in a world like that. And yet half the people who die that way or the number of people that die that way, that's only half of the people that take their own lives. We're living in an unhappy world. Do you know that? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out relationships are shot to pieces. I went to a funeral this week when because one of the family members had become a disciple, other family members no longer even want to talk to them. Couldn't have somebody from the church, any church, say anything about the deceased. And as soon as it's done, one of the brothers, three brothers of the man who died, uh, the, the sons, one brother got up and immediately walked away. One who lives in the area didn't even come to his own father's funeral. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that we have all around us, guys. Uh, I've got murderers on both sides of my family, people on both sides that spent jail time. I mean, I know what dysfunction is. I know what it is not to have real relationships. So let's talk about relationship with God. Uh, I know that's what he's after because John 17 says it well. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I mean, that's why Jesus came is so that people could know God because he revealed God in his person. He was God in the flesh. And so he revealed God. And uh, he said, that's why I came so that people can know God and have a relationship with him. Uh, I love the passage in Acts uh, uh, 17 when it says, even the parts of creation, the things that God did that bless us, those are done so that men might seek God and find him, but he's not hard to find, is what it says. He wants us to seek him. He wants a relationship with us. That's what this thing is all about. And so you got two issues here. One is coming into a relationship with God initially, getting saved as people would describe it. And then the second part is building on that and making it more and more special as long as you live. That's what relationships are about. And so all you young people here, be careful because I met this woman when we were in the seventh grade, 12 years old. Now, it took a long time for us to like each other, much, much less love each other. But at any rate, uh, you know, we've, we've had a relationship in the sense of knowing each other for a lot of years. We've been married for 50 years coming up this January. Uh, it's taken a lot of work to make our relationship what God wanted it to be. We've needed a lot of help, but we've invested a lot in it because we know that relationships aren't easy. And we know that unless you keep them growing, they go backwards. They do not remain static. Those of you who think you have a static relationship in a marriage or any other relationship, you are wrong and you will find out unless you change that. Uh, because they can't stay static. They've got to be on the grow or they're going to be on the decline. And so it takes a lot to establish the relationship and then to keep it growing. But most people are confused about having a relationship to God. They don't know how to do it to start with, but they don't know how to make it grow because they have the wrong view of religion. I remember one time I heard, I was talking to someone yesterday about UCSD. Uh, when we lived in San Diego back in the 80s, one of the brothers shared with these young Chinese students that were over from mainland China doing a, a math program of two weeks, very, very, very intense. And uh, they didn't know anything about religion. And he got them to agree for us to come in and talk with them. Now, they were round the clock doing this uh, heavy duty math seminar, 
but uh, there were about 20 of them in this one apartment. And uh, so they said, okay, we don't have any time, but we'll make time. If you can come between 12 midnight and one, we'll give you an hour for three days. And uh, we thought that sounded like a good deal. And so here I walk in this dorm place with these guys, they're all in their underwear studying math. And uh, they're gonna take some time out to talk with me about religion. And I said, you know enough about religion that every religion, of course, I heard a guy I was sharing with just the other day, who's Muslim. He said, all religions are the same. I mean, that's common, right? They're all the same. But I said, you guys have probably heard enough about religion to, to, to think that religion is all essentially the same, but it really isn't. Every religion tells you that you need to do good and be good. Every religion agrees on that. Christianity is absolutely unique because Christianity says you cannot be good. That's what it says. Without God in your life, seriously in your life, you can't do it. I mean, you know enough about New Year's resolutions to know that, right? We make all kinds of resolutions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. How long does it last? You know, unless there's divine intervention, not very long. And so God is trying to really help us because he says in passages like John 15, I just, uh, he, he talks about remaining in him. He's the vine, we're the branches, etc. But at the very end of that in verse five, it says, apart from me. He said, if you re remain in me and I in you, you bear much fruit. If you have that relationship. But he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now we can do something for a while. He's talking about seriously doing things that are right consistently and faithfully. Without his help, you cannot do that. Now, uh, you have to establish the relationship before you can build on it, right? Teresa and I had to get married January the 30th, 1965, in order then, as a married couple, to begin building on that relationship. Uh, interesting building those early days. We didn't have much help, didn't know what we we're doing. Uh, praise God, we stayed together until we found God. But at any rate, uh, Acts 2, he is preaching about Jesus. This is when people became disciples the first time. And so he, he's preaching. He says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Then the when the people heard it, they're convicted, cut to the heart, and they say, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's your initial salvation, forgiveness of sins. But then he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's the key to follow through. That's the key to being able to do what God has called us to do consistently with the right heart is the spirit dwells in us and strengthens us and helps us live the life that God has called us to live. And so that's all about having a relationship with God. Uh, he, is, uh, he is on our side. He wants us to know him. He wants us to live a life that makes us happy. When I was young, I thought uh, this Christian stuff is boring. Uh, God is wanting to rob us of everything that is fun because I was taught religion. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do the other. That's why I was taught it. But then as I've gotten older, I've realized that everything in the Bible, whether we understand it or not, is designed to make us happy. It's designed to keep us away from things that are going to destroy us. I thought I was smarter than God back when I was young. I'd give anything not to have done many of the things that I did when I was young, because what God was really trying to do is to give me a life that was blessed. And I go back and uh, I look at all the people that I knew way back in high school. We went to our 50 year 
uh, high school graduation reunion a few years ago, mainly just so I could show them there's a different Gordon than you knew back then. But uh, we shared with a lot of people. We worked the crowd, shared with as many as we could, had 500 and something in our graduating class, 60 some were already dead. Now it's up in the eighties or nineties. And uh, so anyway, we, we went back to it, but the trail of woe from the stories that we heard, these people that were at one time, just like us, they thought the world was in front of them. Life was going to be grand. And then they start uh, uh, talking about their divorces. They start talking about their families. They start talking about all the things that have brought them pain just because they really didn't know God. So relationship with God is where it starts, okay? And you're hoping not every point is quite that long. And actually it's not because uh, we talked yesterday about family and I'm going to give some notes on that. I've got very long notes on it, much longer than we talked about yesterday, but I'll give those to Brian Craig and he can pass them out to those that would like them. But I actually have taught in a couple of training programs, uh, a course on uh, uh, parenting really. And it, it's got a lot of notes in it. So be happy to share that with you. But some of the verses that we could look at, this is a great one. Uh, men like to start in verse 22, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, right? That's where the guys start. God started in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so I submit to my wife. She submits to me two different ways because we have different needs. Uh, she submits to my leadership. I submit to her needs that she has as a woman. Anyway, Submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their own husbands and everything. And then husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. As my wife has said uh, back when we got married, she didn't know how to spell the word submission. Uh, there, there wasn't much of that going on in the family that she was raised in. And, and we had to learn what does the Bible really mean by that? because so many people have such a distorted view of what that means. But if you've got uh, men loving their wives like this talked about, women won't have a problem with submitting to someone who loves and protects them in that way. But it's a great passage about the husband-wife relationship. We looked at this one yesterday about parenting. It's a great passage. It says uh, to, the, to moms and dads, you got to have your heart totally set on Jesus and then pass it on to your kids. That's basically what it is saying. And you can't pass on what you don't have. We spent a lot of time on that yesterday. We've got to have a serious relationship with God if we expect to pass it on to our children and them take it seriously. Uh, so we talked a lot about that one yesterday. He sort of sums it up in a, in, in a brief passage in Colossians. When he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So the challenge to the woman is to submit. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's the man's challenge to love your wives. Ephesians says as yourself, because men by nature are more selfish than women. That's my assessment. Uh, just in 71 years of observation, uh, that is my assessment in the matter. Women can be very selfish as well. In fact, some of the most selfish people I've ever known in my life without talking too much about grandma, but anyway, uh, some of the most selfish people I've ever known in my life were women, but as a whole, men struggle more with selfishness than do women. That is definitely true in our marriage relationship. My wife is much more giving than I am. Children, obey your parents in the Lord and everything rather, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. A lot could be said on all of those points, 
But that's relationship within the family. And since we talked all day yesterday about it, I'll leave it at that. But uh, families, having been raised in families that were really dysfunctional, just having a family where people love each other is an extraordinary blessing. It really is. You have no idea. Uh, we were blessed to be raised by parents that made a lot of mistakes, but they did believe in family really being together. And so I remember when our parents died, we all rallied around. We took care of everything. There was not one cross word. It was only supportive. And Teresa's family was as supportive of my family uh, we had a little family reception after mom died. She was my last parent to die. After she died, we went to Teresa's older brother and he had all my relatives over at his place. And we just had a wonderful time celebrating that because we, we did learn about that. Not too many families even have that. I, I hate to wade into funerals uh, because sometimes there's so much disharmony. I've had weddings that were so tough. You know, one of the happiest times in the world. I've had to take women aside because uh, their husband was there with his new wife and they were bitter and angry and all of that. And I've had to take people aside and say, listen, dear, I know there's probably a lot of history that I don't know and will never know. And I know there's a lot of pain, but this is really all about your kid getting married and being happy today. Why don't we just kind of work on making that happen? All right. I've had some very interesting conversations, even at weddings, because of all the stuff that is going on. All right, how about the spiritual family? Uh, this is us, right? Uh, the spiritual family. Uh, one thing about relationships, uh, I, I taught in the retreat from the book of Colossians and talked about the deity of Christ. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says there's one God. The Hebrew word, haked, actually, there's another word, yaked, that means unique, the only one of its kind. Haked is found in passages like Genesis 2.24, which states, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And so it's used in that way to show a unity that is compound in nature. And so when we open the Bible... And it begins to talk about in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and uses the word Elohim, which is a plural word. You get the idea we're talking about the Father, Son, and Spirit jointly as one creating the universe. I wrote a book years ago called Discipling. I have a shorter version still available, but that was a long one. But I was writing this book and the editor said, you know, uh, when you talk about discipling relationships, relationships within God's family, how to help each other grow and change and all that, he said, it seems to me there needs to be some theological treatment of it. And I said, all right. And so I added a chapter into the book about the theology of it, but this little paragraph is from the opening part of that chapter. Since God is somehow three within one, as we call the Trinity, then our capacity for relationships grow out of the very essence of his nature. This fact provides the ground zero basis of theology behind all spiritual relationships. The biblical definition of deity is the very foundation of relationships. And if our relationships are to be patterned after he who is, do we need comment about the required closeness of spiritual relationships? Yet, where are the relationships within mainline religious groups that can accurately be described as deep and close patterned after the very nature of God? It'd certainly be challenging to find such relationships in the average church that meets on Main Street, USA. But interesting chapter. After I wrote it, the editor didn't even like it that much. Uh, but he put it in there. I said, you asked me to write it, Bob. I've spent some time on this. Put it in the book. And uh, it was funny, one day at church, I had this guy come up to me and he had just gotten baptized. He had been a holdout. His wife was a Christian. He'd been a holdout for a long time. Uh, kind of a middle-aged guy, maybe a little older. He said, what got me is I read your book and out of your book, what really got me is chapter four. I said, thank you, sir. <laughs> I'll pass that one on to my editor. 
But the nature of God, the closeness, the Trinity concept, it is out of that theologically that says we ought to have relationships that are amazingly close in the church. Don't you think? Uh, well, that's the last point. The thing that drew me into this movement, actually, in the 80s, I was a minister in another church, another type of church, actually fairly well known at the time in that group. I invited to speak on a lot of seminars and things like that. But the thing that drew me into this group was the fact that I saw real relationships. It was the fact that people didn't just come to church uh, as one preacher friend of mine that described it after I preached in his church, he said, you know, Gordon is right. He said, we come to church in our shells, we bump shells, and we go home. I thought that's a very good description of the churches I've known. I mean, most of them, if a church starts at 10 in the morning, you better be careful at about 9.50 and later in the parking lot, you could get run over. And then after it's all over, the whole thing empties out in a matter of a few minutes. And so when I got around to church and saw real fellowship and people talking about their lives and people sharing with each other and this thing called discipling, I was like a kid in a candy store because I'd seen so much dysfunction even in church relationships that I thought, wow, if these guys are serious and they're looking at 60 some, one another, each other passages in the New Testament, and all those other passages that talk about spiritual relationships, if they're really encouraging each other, really challenging and helping each other grow, confessing their sins to one another, all of those are passages. If they're really doing that, I desperately need it because I had religious relatives that had done terrible things. One very, very close relative who had gotten attracted to someone, she was volunteering at a school she got attracted to the principal. She didn't talk to anyone about it. They ended up in adultery. They ended up divorcing their families and their families. I don't know about his, but I know about hers because she's my cousin. She's got a daughter that's been married several times. She's got a son that's either in jail or just out of jail. Really, really damaging. Uh, and yet all that could have been avoided by just having people in your life to help you deal with sin at the temptation level. That's what drew me into this movement. And sometimes I hear people say, well, uh, I've heard people in the Los Angeles church say, well, if you need discipling, you can go and ask for it. But when you get to a certain degree of maturity, you don't need it. I said to him, I said, hey, I'm at least 10 years older than you. I still need it. If you've outgrown me, help me know how you did that, all right? Because on that original discipling book, the uh, editor added a subtitle, God's Plan to Train and Transform His People. You see, training us to be the most effective we can be for God. That covers a whole gamut of things, doesn't it? Uh, how, personality, it covers how we deal with people, our social skills, it deals with uh, a whole lot of things. If we're going to be effective, we need training, right? In every area of life. And then he talks about transform his people. That means that I need to become more and more like Jesus and I need help to do it because I've got blind spots. We talked about that yesterday, some in parenting. I've got blind spots just as a disciple. I have a discipling relationship with Kevin Maines. The last time I got together with him, a few weeks ago, since I went to that same thing in Singapore, last time I got together with him, we we're having this wonderful talk. And he says, Gordon, he said, I got something here I need to share with you. He said it in a little different tone of voice. So I thought, okay, I know what's coming. He's going to tell me something about me that I do not see. And he did. And I thanked him. I totally missed it. But I was thinking, I'm glad I have people in my life who love me enough to tell me the things about me that aren't Jesus-like that need to really change. So relationships in the church, we have a long way to go. 
uh, to keep that one going. We've let some things slip, but hopefully we will get back to where we need to be if we are not. Now, then you got relationship, the final area, number four, to those who need to be in God's family. And people really need to be in God's family because you read Jesus' assessment of the human race and it's pretty scary. Enter in through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Does that say most people go to heaven or hell? Say it. Thank you. It's hard to say, right? It is hard to contemplate. But people in the world do not believe that. And I, I just call, if you want to know that's true, just apply the funeral test. In every funeral I've been to, except the ones I preached, uh, I hear the same message. Whoever it is, no matter what kind of life they live, whether they ever entered a church door or not, whether they ever read a Bible in their entire life or not, they're safe in the arms of Jesus. Or they are with God and now everything is great. That's not what the Bible says. It pains me to say it. I think it broke Jesus' heart to say it. But he had to be honest because he wanted people to be saved. And guys, we've got to get the blinders off of ourselves. The people we know need God. Not only the pagans, like my dad's family, not only them, but there are a lot of religious people that need a lot of help. Here's a passage I love, not only because of the way it ends, but the way it goes through. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, so I'm sure very popular with the people, uh, and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, uh, right now I'm going to give half of all my possessions to the poor, one half. He says, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus was a Jew. He was in the family of God. And so to some degree there was religion around, right? But you had sort of three classes of people as I read it in the gospels. You had those that had reduced the Bible to a book of rules and regulations. The Pharisees were the leaders in that but there were others and that's sort of the way they looked at religion. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, God owes me without really seeing their sin underneath it all. Then you had the people that were, uh, because they were Jews and in that uh, setting, uh, God's religious nation, they just thought by being a Jew, they were okay. I mean, that's why John the Baptist said, hey, or, or Jesus said, John the Baptist, whichever one. He said, if that's all that matters, you're a son of Abraham, I can raise up from these stones, children of Abraham. I guess it was Jesus. Uh, so anyway, you had those though that felt safety because they were in the nation that was God's religious nation. And then you had a whole bunch of folks that were disillusioned with the whole mess and just didn't want anything to do with it. Now, what's changed? in 2000 years, zero. We've got the same thing, right? We've got people that have got it all reduced down to a few do's and don'ts. And if I do this and don't do that, then I'm okay. We've got people like that. There are religious people like that 
we'd look at them as self-righteous, but nonetheless, they've got their list of rules and regulations. Usually it's just a sort of a, a distinctive list. It doesn't have near all the stuff that's in the Bible. It's just the stuff that they feel good about. If I do this, God owes me. And then you've got the second class of people that just because they somewhere down the line said, uh, Jesus is my savior or they prayed the sinner's prayer or they said, I accept Christ as my personal savior uh, at a certain moment. Then they feel like, okay, I'm all right. Cause I'm, you know, I'm a Christian now. Cause I said, Jesus name. We've got a ton of people right here in Los Angeles that fit that mold exactly. They are religious. They even go to church, but their lives outside that are no different than the people that don't go at all in a lot of different ways. Not all of them. Some are more serious than that. But I'm just telling you, there's an epidemic of relig religiosity that doesn't really fit up with what you study in the Bible about being a disciple, right? And then there's a ton of disillusioned people. They don't even want to talk to you. Somebody said one time, the reason the world isn't Christian is either because they've seen a Christian or they've never seen one. In other words, they've seen those who claim to be, but their lives are filled with hypocrisy or they've never seen the real thing. Praise God, I got to see the real thing. One of my favorite conversion stories uh, is a guy named Steve Hiddleston. He married Al and Gloria Baird's younger daughter. They lead a group that we were in in Phoenix uh, when we were living there. But Steve was a very religious guy growing up. His family was all into sports and stuff, but they also were pretty religious. And uh, Steve was interested in God. He had something inside driving him. He wanted to know more about God. He was an athlete, so he was in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He went to all kinds of different churches. He was trying to find what he thought would be the real thing based on what he read in the Bible. He was very disillusioned. When he went to UCLA, he either had a double major or he minored in uh, theology, religious studies, whatever they called it at UCLA, because he was trying to find the real thing. One day he's on campus. Some guy said, hey, we got this Bible study group at our, our place. Uh, would you like to come? Steve said, I'd love to come. And the guy said, uh, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, I'd love to come. And he came. And in one night, one night, one Bible talk, he figured out this is it. He had been to all kinds of churches, all kinds of groups, but he came to one Bible talk made up of serious disciples in that campus setting at UCLA. And he decided this is the real thing right here. And he got baptized within about a week. Uh, he just knew it when he saw it because it was so different than anything he had been around before. These guys were serious about God. They were serious about being in each other's lives. They were serious about the Bible. And I mean, they convinced him in a night. People are looking for that, see? And that's why what we do is so important. Uh, the life that we live is very important. Our example makes a difference. It made a difference to him, the example. But it's more than an example. It's a matter also of just opening our mouths and talking to people. Yesterday, I was talking to someone at the, the parenting workshop and, and we were talking about somebody in, in uh, Phoenix where I just left a couple of years back. And uh, she, she knew this woman. They, they'd been disciples together when they were young. And yet this woman and her husband had left God years ago. One day I walked in Costco. My wife has a hearing problem. She's got hearing aids. Uh, she always has had somewhat of a hearing problem, a little selective when her husband's talking. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I know it ain't right. <laughs> I, 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 in that sense, I know my hearing problem is worse than hers. Okay, I know that. But anyway, she, she has hearing aids. So she said, when you go to Costco, uh, how about going by the hearing aid department and get me some batteries? And she told me which kind, et cetera. So I walk up to the place. I'd never go there. I can hear. Um, 
So I walk up to get some batteries and there's a guy standing there. I don't know, he's maybe late 40s, 50, I don't know, but he, he's smiling at me, kind of a funny smile. I thought, hmm, uh, that's interesting. Uh, so I, I finally said, uh, do, do I know you? Do, do we know each other? I thought maybe he'd been to church or something. He said, well, he said, I don't know. But he said, you're a spot on knockoff. Those were his words. You're a spot on knockoff for a guy that I knew back in San Diego in the 80s named Gordon Ferguson. <laughs> I was very flattered that he thought I looked similar. <laughs> Much less a spot on knockoff that many years ago. But anyway, I talked to him. I gave him one of my cards, invited him to church, etc. He was not interested. But for some reason, maybe because he had good memories of me back in the 80s, he kept the card. He put it in a drawer, I think, in the kitchen. Uh, he wasn't interested, though. We, we followed up and tried that one. But his wife, Perla, she found that thing. And she decided to come to church. He was mad as everything. He, he didn't want her to come. I saw, I didn't even know her very well, but uh, I saw her at church that day and she came up to me and just hugged me and cried because she went through a lot just to be able to leave and come to church that day. But you know, Perla kept coming and uh, she got restored, I think after we moved here and is doing well. And uh, that would never have happened if my wife had good hearing. Uh, it would never have happened had I not been a wonderful husband to go and... and <laughs> uh, God had to put a lot of little pieces together, but it would have never happened if I didn't talk to that unopened guy about God and getting his life right with God. We got to open our mouths. You're going to be having some evangelistic stuff going on in your group upcoming. Isn't that what you told me? Right? Uh, guys, there are half the people in this room that are disciples became disciples because somebody they never had met before opened up their mouth. God has all kinds of ways. One of the elders in this church, a longtime friend of mine, Doug Weber, Dr. Weber, uh, the way he became a disciple is the singles were out sharing and they stuck a card in the windshield wiper of his car, if I recall that. It's quite a story. In fact, it's a, if you happen to know them, it's a really good story when you find out when he started coming to church and his wife hated it and she'd throw all his clothes in the yard while he was at church. It's a really good story. <laughs> But he's one of the elders here now. His wife's awesome. They're very good friends of ours, et cetera. But there are a lot of good stories out there. But it, these things happen because we have a conviction that people need God. And so we're going to open our mouth and share our faith because that's what Jesus did. He came to seek and to save the lost. So as I think about the Bible, I love the Bible. I love studying the Bible. I love teaching the Bible. But I love the fact that it's simple. The Bible is not a complex book. Now, it's not easy to do, but the concept is simple. If you just get it right with God and live in a relationship with Him, and of course, His love letter, the Bible, is what helps you live and grow in that relationship with many other things. And then you really work on having a family that honors God uh, so that you can enjoy being married for 50 years and hopefully a few after that. But uh, you can have what Teresa's parents didn't have because they divorced after 25 years. You can have what my parents never had because they stayed together for 50 years until dad died. But uh, it was a, an unhappy marriage. We knew we didn't want those. We didn't know what a good one looked like, but we just knew what a bad one would look like and we wanted to stay away from it. But God has blessed us with an incredible marriage. Uh, I, I love being married. I'm still madly in love with my wife. 
Uh, it, it is not a stale relationship, let me assure you. If you've ever been to one of our marriage retreats, uh, you, you hear the whole story of that and I'll save that for later. But then you have relationships in the church. I love the church. I know we're a mess. I know we go through things. I know we hurt each other's feelings. I know people make mistakes and leaders make mistakes and we have to learn and repent and grow. But tell me the perfect organization. Uh, this is a, the closest to what I read in the Bible that I've ever found easily the closest. And I love the church. You know, there are sometimes, I'm sure there are people who'd like to choke me and some I'd like to choke, you know. We, we, we have to work on it, right? We have to work on it, but we are dedicated to working on it because we are in the family of God and we are committed to help each other change and grow and make it to heaven. And so when we get to heaven, it will be because there were people that loved us enough to help us because God knows we all need a lot of help. And then finally, because of all that he's given us in those first three relationships, we have a story to share with other people. And many times I start off my story in sharing with people on this very sermon. I say, you know, I used to look at the Bible as a book of religion and I hated it. I've grown to see it as a book of relationships and then I just start sharing about that. It's a great way to begin sharing your faith. But it's what life is about. It's about this, the older you get, the more you understand how little all of the substitutes really matter. We got all these substitutes, money, possessions, education, entertainment. We've got all these substitutes. You get my age and you look at all that and you think that's a joke. If I inherited $50 billion from somebody, nobody in my family, but if I had $50 billion right now, I wouldn't do anything differently than I'm doing because I know I got a death sentence on me. Now, when you're young, you don't think you have that. I'm telling you, my age, you got it. You know it's coming. I went to a funeral this week. Someday somebody's going to be coming to mine. I hope. I have a few turn out, you know. Uh, but it's all about relationship, guys. And I want you to have a life that's a happy life. And there's no other way to do it except to major on those four things that the Bible talks about. Amen. Uh, thank you for staying awake. Only three went to sleep and I'll have them stand now. Uh, <laughs>